Thanks, Phil. Good morning. It's really good to have you here today. And you made it up on time. Changed the clocks. That's good. It's really good. Today, <clears throat> we're going to continue a series about church. If you remember a few weeks back, we thought we need to begin, spend the first time, the first part of this year, just studying and rethinking church. We're in a new building. We've got new opportunities, new situation here. What should we be doing? What is church supposed to be like? There's a lot of misconceptions out there and a lot of sloppy thinking about what church is or should be. And um, I'm hoping we can even straighten some of that up this morning. But if you've been following on the series, it's been really clear. We've looked at all kinds of different things about faith and hope and love. Those are the things the New Testament seems to drill down on about what church is. We talked about what worship is. Last week was about prayer and what prayer is. We're going to continue on through, through the next few weeks talking about church and trying to clear up some things that we need to understand who we are. Today we're going to look at one of the most powerful passages in the New Testament. It's called the Great Commission. It was something told by Jesus to his disciples right before he left the earth. It's at the end of the book of Matthew. If you have your Bibles, just open up to the end of Matthew. That's where we're going to be looking. But maybe to, to better introduce it, uh, I could just tell you something I was thinking about this week because of some things I was reading. And, and I could set it up like this. You know, the Bible says that I'm supposed to be, as the pastor of this church, um, a shepherd. And that the people coming here are supposed to be like sheep. That means I'm supposed to guide the sheep, teach the sheep, lead the sheep, mentor the sheep, make sure the sheep are healthy and strong and help the sheep grow, right? That's my major objective. And quite frankly, that makes me feel kind of nervous because um, I'm responsible for you. <laughs> the Bible seems to indicate, like in Hebrews chapter 13, that I'm even going to have to give an account to God someday of how good I did with the sheep. That, again, is a kind of a scary thought to me. But you need to understand that when we're going through this series about church, I'm not talking about some institution that I run. No, I'm talking about you and your life. Because that's my job. I'm the shepherd. You're the sheep. And my job is your life. Like I said, pretty scary, right? Like, wow, I'm supposed to take care of these people, make sure they're going the right way and help them in their life, guide them in their thinking and their feelings and their families and their attitudes and their work. And yeah, that's my job. That's what I'm supposed to do. I'm the shepherd of the sheep. Well, so when we talk about church, make sure you clarify that's not a building. It's not some institution. It's not some even big organization. It's people. It's the sheep. So as we look at something today that I think will give you great instruction and guidance, hopefully that's what the shepherd's supposed to do, deliver that to you. I'd like to pray before we start. Would you just bow your head with me? Lord, we come before you today, and I'm humbled to be the shepherd of this flock of believers. And I just pray that today, Lord, you'll help all of us really eat well of the Word of God and grow strong as sheep in your family. Thank you so much for calling us to yourself. 
thank you so much that you're the you're the great shepherd you're really the the head of the body of Christ you're the leader I'm just your shepherd so help us Lord as we lead today help me as I lead today help us as we learn today to learn how to be the sheep of your pasture and to follow you with all our heart and our soul and our mind I pray that for everybody here in Jesus name amen You know, I don't know if you've ever looked at it this way before. I've talked about this before, but it's important to kind of look at, back up and take a big picture, a big look at life sometimes. And did you ever think of it this way? God is the originator. He is the creator of life. And as far in advanced as man has gotten, we cannot create life yet. You can't take nothing and make it into something. We've never been able to do that. You know, we can make computers, we can make great big screens, we can do some cool things, but no one has ever learned how to make life. And when God makes life, he makes life to do what? Grow. Life is supposed to grow. So a little plant grows, a little animal grows, a little person grows. Everything God makes that has life in it grows. That's why it's so significant when Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What he's trying to say is, I'm going to make it grow and nothing's going to stop it. And I, I was thinking today, I didn't do it, but I was thinking of doing like a chart of church history. I don't know if you've ever read Acts 2 is where the church started. Do you know that? Remember Acts 2, day of Pentecost. Ever since then, it's been documented throughout church history. It's a really fun study, but the church is like a rocket ship. It's just growing. I mean, even in underground China church, it's growing like wildfire. Church keeps growing. Oh, there's ups, there's downs, there's all kinds of problems. But God always seems to revive his church, renew his church, reform his church, change it with his direction. It's like there's this master designer, God, behind the scene making sure that it grows because everything God makes grows. Now, what, what do you think when you have a plant that's not growing? You think, well, there's something wrong with that. Uh, it needs more water, or it needs some fertilizer, or it needs something, right? It's sick. What happens when you have like a little puppy or a little kitten and it's not growing? Well, we've got to feed it more. Maybe we'll take it to the vet. There's something wrong. It's sick. Or a little child that doesn't grow. Well, the parents get all concerned. We better go to the doctor. Something wrong. This, this baby is sick. This baby's something wrong. Well, what happens when a church doesn't grow? Does everyone think maybe there's something wrong? It's sick. It's supposed to grow. I don't mean just numerically, but I mean even inwardly, people are supposed to grow. The sheep herd is supposed to get bigger. It's like there's something wrong here. The sheep are supposed to grow, and when they're not, there's something really, really wrong. There's a passage of Scripture at the end of Matthew where Jesus is trying to say this very clearly to his disciples, and it's at, at the end of Matthew. It's called the Great Commission. Let's read it. Matthew chapter 28, the last chapter of Matthew, starting with verse 16. He, it, Jesus said this. It sets the scene, then tells us what he said. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee. Remember, there's only 11 now because of Judas. He's out. 
to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Isn't that interesting? Some still had some doubts. They'd, like, what's going on? They didn't know. So Jesus thought, I'll tell you. And maybe he said this first part because they were doubting. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now here's what you're supposed to do. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, you've probably, if you've been in church long, heard this passage before, and, and I don't know if you understand. It's really grammatically kind of simple. There's one main verb in the whole passage. The main verb is make disciples. You and me as Christians, we're supposed to make disciples. That would sum up the whole thing. That's the main verb. But it's modified by three participles, going, baptizing, and teaching. So there's your grammar lesson for the day. That's what this means. We're supposed to do this making disciple thing. By step one, you're supposed to go, find some people. Then you're supposed to baptize them, and then you're supposed to teach them. What does all that mean? Well, next week, we're going to get into what it means to be empowered as a Christian, and you're going to learn about making disciples. I'm going to take those three participles, going, baptizing, and teaching, and we're going to dive deeper into what that means. As I put down in your outline what's called the, the big idea, it says, God commands us to structure church for growth. That's what we're supposed to be. But the problem is sometimes we stop. We think we're going to be happier if we don't. Oh, I don't have to go to all that work. I don't have to do anything. And that's the problem that we face. It's almost like as the shepherd, it gets a little frustrating because the sheep don't always want to eat. They don't always want to grow. They don't want to go to greener pastures. So let's just stay right here. Like, well, we're not going to grow doing that. And so Jesus understood that, understood that to his disciples. He says, well, then you, you need to go, and you need to baptize, and you need to teach. Very Progressive, isn't it? Very much of a going kind of thing, an onward thing, a growing thing that he's teaching here. I'd like to show you how it unfolds. Point one reads like this. We structure our church to go. So God seems to be telling us we should structure things to go ahead and move on. He says, first of all, right here in verse 18, right after it says some doubted, and I wonder if he said it for this reason, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Why do you think he said that? Again, I think it's because they maybe had some questions. Maybe you have some questions. What does this all mean? He says, well, I'm the authority here. All authority has been given to me by the Father in heaven and on earth because I've died on the cross to pay for the sins of mankind. Now the authority is mine to redeem people back to Christ. So, guys, here's what you need to do. But let's think about this authority thing for a minute. This is significant. I was reading a story just this week. Um, and it caught my attention because it was about a political leader of the past. Um, in the 1950s, there was this guy, um, his, his name was Herder, Governor Herder of Massachusetts. And he, it, Christian, in fact, his first name was Christian, Christian Herder. And um, Christian Herder was it, trying to get voted in for another term. So he's traveling around Massachusetts, as you can imagine. Of course, we just went through a political year. We saw all that craziness going on. And people on the campaign trail, and he was on the campaign trail talking to people, you know, kissing babies, all the kind of stuff they do, right? And he ends up at a church barbecue. 
I love church barbecues. Uh, I remember that time we went down to South Philly and went to a church barbecue. Man, that was, those guys could really make chicken. It was amazing. Anyway, I could just picture this guy. So here's this governor. He's, he's standing in line, you know, getting the food. Someone throws on the, some, um, you know, potato salad, barbecue, right? Someone else, some pork and beans, it's barbecue. Next one is the chicken lady, and she gives him a piece of chicken. And he had skipped lunch. This is like four or five in the afternoon. He's starving. And uh, he says, you know, ma'am, ma'am, can I maybe have another piece of chicken? She goes, no, one per customer. So he figures he's going to throw his weight around a little bit. So Governor Herter goes, "Um, you know who I am, right? I'm the governor of this state. And she kind of stepped back. She says, well, sir, you know who I am, don't you? I'm the lady in charge of the chicken. (laughs) And it's one per customer. Just move along, please. (laughs) You only got one piece. Well, it's kind of a funny story, but it points out whoever is the authority has the charge. Jesus is saying to you and me, if you've become a born-again Christian, I'm telling you, here's your assignment. First thing you need to think about is you got to go. You and I as believers are not here to stay here. We know it's becoming born again. In fact, last night I got to pray with a kid right up here in the front. Who, his friend brought him. He prayed to receive Christ. Well, he's here now, not to stay here, but to go. That's why I talk about we structure our church for growth because it's like, personally, I got to start growing now in my relationship with God and my relationship with others, and I need to help others find the Lord. So he goes on and says that. Look what it goes on to say. He's saying, first of all, we need to go, growing ourselves, growing our church. And just like raising a child takes change to grow, and sometimes that's what makes it difficult. But if a child isn't growing, you know, I mean, we don't expect a child to eat the same food. They have to change if you're going to grow. I mean, you're not still living on baby food or mother's milk. Remember that passage in Hebrews we studied not too long ago when Paul says to the Hebrew Christians, or Paul, whoever wrote it, says, you know, you should be moving on to solid food by now, but you're still like on the milk of the word, like you're not growing is what he's complaining to them about. It's the same with raising a child. They got to grow. We don't expect them to play with the same toys anymore. We don't expect them to go to the same school. You don't don't walk the same, talk the same, sleep the same, work the same. No, there's got to be changes. As I put down here, and I hope it'll end up on the screen, you are not here to stay here. Just this past uh, weekend, um, I took a group of elders, and we went down to uh, Atlanta, and we visited a couple churches down there. And I have a friend down there. His name is Rob McClellan. In fact, he used to work for my father-in-law a long time ago, and he now lives down in Atlanta. He's going to a church down there called Victory. But that's kind of beside the point. He, he's, he's very accomplished. Um, he's done a lot of different things in his life, and he had just moved a few years ago from California to Atlanta, and he says, oh, man, I don't know if you've been to Atlanta, but you can get a lot more house for your money in Atlanta than you can in California. So he says, I, I got this nice big house, and I'm in this nice neighborhood, and I'm thinking, you know, I'm supposed to go. Everybody in this neighborhood is so busy working and the kids in sports and all this stuff. How can I go to my neighborhood? And I'm going to just share with you what he, what he did. It was a really cool idea. In fact, Lori and I are probably going to do this idea. He says, you know, I got an idea. 
why don't we invite all the neighbors, honey? His wife's name is Donna. Donna, let's invite all the neighbors over to our house that we can get to come. Let's go door to door. We'll hand out a little invitation. But let's do it a little different. So here's what he did. They went door to door in their neighborhood handing out invitations. Of course, people were blown away. Hey, good. Nobody ever in the neighborhood ever knows anybody or ever wants to get together. Yeah, it happens. In, it's not just New Jersey. It happens there too. So he starts handing out invitations. He said, we got six couples that say they're going to come over on Friday night. And they all come over. He says, so one by one, they knock on the door, ring the doorbell, and we come to the door with aprons. And we throw an apron on them and say, hey, welcome. You didn't know you're cooking tonight. Oh, really? Yeah, we're having like a, a cooking party. We'll, we'll let you know how it goes. So, of course, people are right away stepping back in. Whoa, hey, I don't cook, you know. He says, great, we're going to put you up with somebody that does. And so they took everybody and split them up. You know, a couple guys on a team, a couple girls on a team, had them all split up. Nobody knows each other. So they're trying to get past that awkward place, right, where everybody's just kind of sitting around and don't know what to say. Oh, what do you do? Where do you work? That kind of thing. So now they got them all split up, and they got this big counter, he says. So I got three by five cards in six places. So one team here, one team, one team here. I said, okay, everybody, take your first card and turn it over. And they turn over the first card. That's the appetizer. Everybody's supposed to make what is, and everybody's different. So they all make these different appetizers. And he says, everybody's joking and laughing, having a great time figuring out what to cook and how to do it. Of course, then it's a little bit of a contest to see who can cook the best appetizer. Then the next stage is going on to make the entree. And the next stage, of course, you can see how there's... He says, by the time the whole meal was over, everybody felt like we had neighborhood unity. We're talking to each other. People are starting to even ask questions about us and about our ministry and what's going on. He says it was a great first step in going just to be a little creative and try and go to the neighbors. Have you ever tried anything like that? It's the first step into getting past that awkward stage of talking about Jesus. Now they were asking him questions about what he did and why he lives in Atlanta. And oh, you're working for a church. Well, what does that look like and what does that mean? Oh, great opportunities. But, you know, it's not just an individual thing. It's a corporate thing. It's why we put a big banner out there. If you remember, our banner used to say, we're making room for you. Well, now we got room for you. We've got a lot of empty chairs here. Where are they? Let's go get them. That's what we're supposed to do. So we bring them to Alpha. You know, Alpha is hitting new heights. We're seeing all kinds of people come to Alpha. In fact, last night when I prayed with that young man received press, I said, hey, your buddy, he's got to take you to, to Alpha. He goes, okay, I'm into that. To start growing, it's a good place for a new Christian, a confused Christian, someone that's not a Christian. It's a great place to have a meal again, get the conversation going. You need to understand that you're just one of the sheep in the flock, just like me. And just like, I'm probably going to try something like that little dinner thing in our neighborhood to reach my neighbors. I hope you're thinking something like that. Or maybe you've got a better idea. It doesn't have to be a church program. But we do have programs like Alpha and other kinds of outreach events we do. That's what it means. Get that in your mind. To be a part of the family of God means you don't stay here. You're supposed to grow. And lots of times in my own personal life, even reaching out to other people has helped me grow more and get excited about my faith because I see God working in others' lives. That's the first thing we got to learn. Second is this. We need to structure our church for, to, be, to baptize. He goes on to say here, when Jesus is giving them instruction, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. 
go make disciples. And then he says, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Baptism, listen closely, because we get, again, funny thinking about this. Baptism is an outward sign of an inward reality. Uh, you know, we do water baptism here, and we see water baptism in the, Old, in the New Testament, where people come down into the water, and it's symbolic that I was like this, here's my life, and then I came to Christ, and it's like I died, and we put you down into the water. Because you go from a place where you can breathe there to a place where you can't breathe there. When you can't breathe there, you die. So it's just a symbol to show I went, this is the old me. I went down to the water, and then I was raised. If you want a passage that teaches this, it's Romans chapter 6. Verse 4 says, I've been raised to newness of life. And the most amazing thing, the, the coolest thing about baptism is this. It teaches that death is now behind me. Isn't that an amazing concept? Yeah, I already died. Like Paul says in Romans 2, I mean, excuse me, Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live. Really? Death is behind you as a Christian. Jesus took care of it. That's what the dying on the cross, where'd that cross go? Here it is over there. They keep switching around on me. Jesus died on the cross so that death is behind us. And all I have to look forward to, oh, I may pass away on this earth, but I'm looking forward to eternal life because my death that I feared, my, my, my not being alive anymore is gone. I'm going to be alive forever with the Lord. The, the celebration of baptism is that death is behind me and life is before me. So I think... When Jesus uses the term baptism in this passage, he's using it to, to illustrate a, a broad term of what happens to us. You know, baptism, excuse me, is kind of like a wedding ring. A wedding ring symbolizes that I'm dead to being single and I'm alive to being joined to this person, right? And so here, I, the, the, the singleness is dead to me, but I'm alive to my union with my wife. And, and I, I, but you all know, right? Putting on the wedding ring with this wing, ring, I thee wed, you know, we put it on at the wedding ceremony. I go, come on, that's just the beginning, right? Are you done learning about marriage? You done? Be, no, you barely got started. You hardly know a thing yet, right? Remember when you put the wedding ring on and you look back and go, yeah, I didn't know nothing. That's right. When you got baptized, you didn't know nothing. Right, it's like the first step and a bunch of steps in be being a Christian and becoming a Christian. It's the same thing with baptism. And I think Jesus is using this word here like that. He says, go into all the world, okay, first participle go, and then baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Baptizing is like the first step of many steps. He's trying to say, help people structure into their life these significant changing moments, like a wedding ring on your finger, like the baptism in the water. Make these steps, these significant steps, part of the structure of what church is supposed to be. That's what I think he's trying to say here. He also says to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. From the best I can understand, that means that the Father planned it, Jesus accomplished it, 
And the Holy Spirit is what makes it real to us in our life. It helps us get these strategic growth steps personally in our life. This is a very personal thing, baptism. You know, nobody should coerce you or force you or talk you into being baptized. It's what we call believer's baptism. It's why we don't do it for babies. Babies should be dedicated to the Lord, but they can't symbolize something. Be like putting a wedding ring on a baby. No, no, they got to make a choice here. It's a decision. I don't know where it ever got confused that somehow babies should be baptized. Baptism in the New Testament is all about believers voluntarily saying, no, no, I'm making a step toward the Lord. This is my step of commitment in Him. And when he uses that word here, I think he's talking about the first of many steps. I remember when I was a young believer, and the first thing I did after praying and asking Christ in my life is I, I decided, well, I should start going to church. Well, I tried to avoid that a lot, you know, about <laughs> you, but... I started going to the best decision I could have made because there I could watch people that are Christians, see how they act, listen to the teaching of Christians, learn what it means to be a Christian, get baptized, start making commitments. Again, it was a, a series of structured steps. And so I started structuring my life around church and I started really then growing. Listen to me. That's what a church is supposed to be. A church that helps people take structured steps toward the Lord, step by step. Baptism is really like the, ma the main one mentioned here and the leading of it all. I remember as a young believer, and these kind of structured steps still happen in my life in church. I hope they do for you too. It, but it's like that, that, that's where I learned, oh, you know, maybe I don't see anybody else here uh, at the parties I go to or, 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 or drink in or smoking weed and, and get and, and drug in like I do. And I start thinking, you know, maybe this sh it shouldn't be in my life. It's, it sounds kind of stupid the way I'm saying it, but it's like the point was I was realizing, no, you don't need that anymore. I've got the Lord. And so stuff started dropping off in my life and then new things started coming in, like learning to read my Bible myself. I could understand this and I was surprised. I was telling that young man last night that we led to Christ, yeah, start reading the scriptures. You'll be surprised. I said, have you ever read it? He goes, uh, no. I said, well, take it up, open it up like to John, start reading. You will be shocked. I sure was. How much different it appeared now that I am born again, that the Holy Spirit lives in me. So well, that's where I learned to read the Word. I remember being one of my first small groups I was ever in was called an action group, and it was just a group of, like, college guys. And we, we helped each other, talked about things, prayed together, went through all kinds of stuff together. Okay. Point three. We should structure our church to teach. It's the final part of what's called the Great Commission. Jesus said, go into all the world, you know, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he finally says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Let's stop right there. We'll take that last part later. Church is a place of learning, learning to grow. In the book of Acts, chapter 5, verse 25, we read these words. The disciples were taken by the temple guard and thrown into prison, and they escaped because an angel. Remember the story in chapter 5? And it says, and someone came 
and told them, that's the high priest and those guys, look, the temple who, excuse me, the, peep, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. That's what a Christian leader is supposed to do, teach. And they were all afraid because they were teaching. And they, they, they didn't want them to teach what they did about the Lord. Church is supposed to be structured so we teach. But notice what he says. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Another translation says, teaching them to obey. Someone came and talked to me last night. I think I, I kind of missed up on this point because they were thinking, what, what, what do you mean teaching's not going to change anything, only observing does? Well, what I'm trying to say is, what is that just teaching alone isn't what we need to do because you can be at a church that teaches and teaches and teaches and heck, I even went to seminary. But if you're just going to learn, 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 but you're not doing you're not obeying. You're not processing it. I mean, this is the whole reason this church is structured around small groups. In the teen, with our teen groups, with our high school groups, with our, with our adult groups, with our college group, we're all structured around small groups because we've started to realize, you know, in a, in a bigger group like this, you can teach, but the processing of it into your life, the observing of it, which this text uses, or the obeying of it, only takes place when, like iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. It's when we really learn how to build up one another, encourage one another, stimulate one another, love and good deeds. It happens when we connect with the Word of God. So we have all these groups in our church, all based around what? Teaching, teaching the Scriptures. But more than just teaching, obeying. How do I process this into my everyday life? That's very significant, very significant. I don't know if you're in a small group yet or even just a relationship with two or three people at your house or somewhere at work. That's what puts it into your life. You're like, yeah, okay, here's what it means, but what does it mean to me? What difference is this going to make in my life? How can I do this or process this teaching, even in this passage or any passage? I think that's what church is supposed to structure like. So we structure our church like that for growth. Finally, he ends with a promise. Yeah, I'm running out of time, so look at this. Promise at the end. And behold, Jesus said, this must have been so comforting, I'm with you always to the end of the age. I can never read that without this picture being in my mind from my Aunt Millie's house. My cousins live just down the street. Here's the picture. That picture was on the wall in the kitchen, and it's like at my aunt's house. And of course, my cousins live there, and we're, they're about the same age as us, so we're all playing together. And that picture just like is in my brain. I'm going to be with you all. It's, it's called the pilot. Jesus is the pilot. It's written, it's, uh, it was um, painted by Warner Solomon. Uh, he lived from 1892 to 1968 from Chicago. But the point is, Jesus, this picture shows this guy trying to steer his boat, you know, his life, through, and there's waves in the background. In fact, it seemed like in my, in my mind, and maybe I didn't, that there was more waves. Maybe it was a little different picture. But Jesus having his hand on his shoulder and pointing the way, it's like, yeah, I'll be with you always. Can you imagine the situations of the original disciples? And maybe you feel that way this morning. You know, there's all kinds of waves around. You don't know which way to go. 
And if you've ever been way out to sea where you can't see land, yeah, without your compass, you don't know where you're at. How do we get back? And if a fog sets in, you're really stuck. And sometimes the fog of life comes around you, doesn't it? Sometimes the waves get really intimidating and big. You're rocking back and forth. And they say, don't worry. I'll be right with you every step of the way. Folks, this is one of the most important promises in the entire Bible. You don't have to be afraid. He's going to be right there. You keep growing. You keep going and baptizing and teaching. He's telling his disciples, you keep growing. Because if you stop, you're sick. If you stop, you're dead. You got to go. So you do the steering. I'm, I'm right here behind you. I got you. It seems to me like this artist caught that concept. It's almost like he's trying to paint a picture of what this says. I'll be with you always, even to the very end. Now today, I get the privilege of like ending the service. And I thought, you know, a good way to do it would be to just have silence for one minute to think about what I just said. So bow your heads with me. And think about your going, your baptizing, or taking the next strategic step in your life. Or even have you put yourself in a place of being a teacher or being taught? Ask God what he'd have you do. I'll give you one minute. Process this. Think about this. Pray. Let's all stand together and let me pray over you like a shepherd would over his sheep. Dear God, I thank you that I can be the shepherd of this flock and that we have so many healthy sheep here growing and going in the Lord. And God, I pray, you'll remove the blinders from our eyes and the ways we fool ourselves. Help us see if we're sick or if we're troubled or if we're, we've got a, a problem that's holding us back and to be honest about it. Help us truly be a church that structures ourselves for real growth, not just numerically, but spiritually, emotionally. So many of us, Lord, we're like malnourished sheep because we're not feeding, we're not growing. We've stalled, we're coasting. 
So I pray, first of all, you'd forgive us. And I come before you today saying, Lord, may we be a church that truly grows in our walk with you and our spreading of the gospel. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. God bless. Have a great week. See you next week.